Well, we started last Sunday talking about uh, that Christ is more uh, than enough and went uh, through several things. Christ is more than social justice uh, reform. Uh, certainly not to diminish in any way wrongs that have, been, ha- have happened in our country and certainly not trying to sweep under the rug any of that. We, I think it's very important that we recognize uh, where we have gone wrong, where we've done wrongs uh, in those ways in, in the past and learn from that and certainly strive in a biblical fashion following the model of Christ uh, who... Uh, was certainly not, uh, you know, did not have any prejudice, was not, uh, he exalted even the role of women uh, during his ministry and uh, would, would run towards uh, people that, you know, others would run away from. And so we, we see in Christ a very different model. But all that said, it's important that we also understand that Christ is more than social justice reform. That alone doesn't solve the world's problems. So just in kind of a quick review, governmental laws will never produce godly love. Because Christ loved us first, that's the only way and the only reason that we can love uh, truly somebody else is because of Christ's love for us first. Society's programs will never substitute the Savior's peace. We looked in Ephesians how the Jews and the Gentiles were definitely at odds with each other, thought differently, different background. Uh, oftentimes would avoid contact with each other. But in Ephesians 2, it's very clear that Christ, who's called our peace, brought those two together and formed the two in one body uh, as the Jews believed in Christ. Some of the Jews believed in Christ as their Savior. And then Gentiles also uh, began to uh, respond to the Lord's conviction and follow Him as their Savior. Society's reformational mandates will never be as effective as the Redeemer's messengers of reconciliation, which is us. Those who know Christ as their Savior, we've been called to this ministry of reconciliation. And some of the verbs and words that are used are that we implore on your behalf to be reconciled to God. And so as we recognize the urgency, uh, what what a powerful impact we can have. Christ is also more than political reform. We saw Christ's model uh, he came first to save sinners, not to salvage society. Christ came to redeem the godless, not to reform the government. You know, when he was asked about taxes, he, he said, well, you know, look on the coin. What's Caesar? You need to give back to Caesar. Uh, even though the tax system at that time was very corrupt and there was a lot of uh, misuse and, and abuse, but Christ, his first goal was to redeem the godly and not reform the government. So as Christ's followers then, some mandates that we looked at last week is that we must focus our efforts on proclaiming eternal life and not just our way of life. Well, this is, this is how, you know, this is my way of life. And anything that threatens that, uh, we need to be careful that we don't elevate preserving that above proclaiming eternal life, salvation in Christ. We must place our hope in Christ rather than in a candidate. doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for our politicians. We absolutely should. We should be involved as God gives us opportunities in the political system and being able to exercise our right to vote and uh, voice our concerns and voice what we believe are are good things based on on Scripture. But we must place our hope in Christ rather than in the candidate. We must not minimize a politician's sins in order to maximize his success or her success. You know, as Christians, as Christ followers, we should be the first to say, we all need Christ. 
It's not one party or another that needs Christ. Every single one of us needs Jesus Christ as Savior. And without him, then, then our view, our worldview is going to be skewed no matter what party we, we follow. So Christ is first and foremost. We must not equate a political party with a profession of faith. And as we do that, then we're, we're voicing all along, Christ is more than these things. But in addition to those two things, we're going to look at this morning as we finish up this kind of two-Sunday series, that Christ is more than educational reform. This is another big hot topic. You know, oftentimes is, boy, we just need better education, and we need more money, and we need more, you know, resources, and to, to educate our children, that's going to change society. Now, we're meeting in a school. And we're meeting not in just a school, but a school that my children go to. So we value education. We're thankful for the education that they're receiving here at Northwest Classical Academy. However, uh, educational reform only goes to a certain extent, and Christ is way more than that. Since, I think it's been about 28 years or so that the the Georgia lottery was uh, put into place, and, you know, from the very beginning, it was, it was touted as something that would just pump, you know, millions and millions of dollars into uh, the, the economy, or into the education, rather. And it has. I'm not, necessarily, I'm not saying I'm for the lottery, but just gather with me a little bit of the funds that have been invested. And like you, I think all of us would say, yes, education is important. So even though some are on spring break, uh, my sister, one of my sister-in-laws uh, came in last night as they were headed to Indianapolis. They have two weeks of spring break, back to back. I haven't heard of that uh, before, but they're off for two weeks. But I don't think any of us would say, yeah, just get rid of school. We, we value that. But in the last 28 years, there has been $24.6 billion dollars transferred to the Georgia educational account just from the lottery. 24.6 billion. Last year alone, per day, four million dollars was raised by the lottery for educational. Four million dollars a day. Think about that. That is a lot of money. That's a lot of spelling books. That's a lot of, you know, uh, iPads. Four million a day. So 24.6 billion in the lifetime. That's helped 2 million students you know, go, uh, go to college through the Hope Scholarship. 1.6 million four-year-olds you know, attend the, the pre-K uh, program sponsored by the state of Georgia. However, in 2022, even after 28 years of, of all these extra funds being pumped into the educational system, we still have serious problems in every school in our state. Not necessarily because the leadership have problems, but because we have problems. We're sinners. And so it doesn't matter if every kid has an iPad. It doesn't matter if there's more volunteers and there's free lunches and all these things. That is not enough. Christ is more than educational reform. First of all, look, look with me in Romans chapter 1. We'll look at verses 18 through 25. One thing that we see even in education reform is, is incompatible truths, truths that go certainly against what we see in Scripture. And Romans 1, 18 through 25, makes it clear that you know, even in the early church, this wasn't a surprise. Romans 1, verse 18, says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness, notice this, suppress the truth 
For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Notice verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, verse 24, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You know, throughout my lifetime, I'm, I, I don't think that I'm that old. I don't feel that old. But 45 years is, I mean, it's not 45 days. So it's, I've been around for a few years, and I've seen a lot of changes. I've seen leading educators, leading politicians, leading uh, musicians, unfortunately, even many pastors who have worked tirelessly to suppress the truth in many ways. Suppress the truths about things that we see clearly in Scripture. Suppress the truths about the sanctity of life. Suppress the truth about the role of the family. Suppress the truth about what is family. Uh, I don't know if it's as common anymore, but about a year and a half back, there were you know, many yard signs that were, that were put out and about. And one of the phrases on that was, well, love is love. And the idea was, you know, don't, don't try to define love. If anybody feels love for anybody else, then, then love is love. You know, let, let love be love. Well, that's suppressing the truth and the design that God originally intended for mankind. So we've seen the, the suppression of truth and uh, the distortion of, of many of these, these things. So there's certainly very, a lot of incompatible truths. Jump over to John chapter 3, if you would. John 3, uh, verse 16 is very, a very popular verse, but we're going to look at verses 19 through 21. 19 through 21. As you turn to that, I, I want to talk about a couple weeks ago, there was a, I get a, a morning kind of newsletter from New York Times. The New York Times is not known to be the most conservative news outlet out there, Right? But I enjoy reading it. It gives me some perspective on what, what are some things being discussed. And uh, this particular article was somewhat surprising because the, the author was talking about um, the inconsistencies of those who boldly proclaim, follow the science, follow the science. And the author of this article went on to cite some of CD's warnings, you know, considering uh, eating medium-rare hamburgers, you know, that, that is, that's not good for you and you shouldn't do that. So at the picnic today, everybody should be looking, you know, at their hamburger, and I, I like a medium rare. You know, I like to see some pink in the middle. But according to CDC, no, you should not do that. According to C CDC, you shouldn't have more than a teaspoon of salt per day. Uh, Matt Johnson, who loves salt, certainly doesn't follow by that CDC guideline. So the author of the New York Times article was saying, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's all these cries to follow the science. We follow the science. We follow the science. But in other areas... People aren't following the science. All that to say, we can all elevate the truths that we want to and suppress, try to suppress others. 
John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, it says this in verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than light. Why? Because their works were evil. Maybe that's why my mom, growing up, always said, nothing good happens after midnight, son. You need to be home. You know, by midnight, you got to be home. Nothing good happens after midnight. It's dark. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. It's not fun to be exposed. It's not fun many times to be confronted with the truth. And so oftentimes we suppress the truth. Some may even say, well, you know, there's, there is no absolute truth. If that works for you, then great. But, you know, it doesn't work for me. And so there's no absolute truth. But as you think about that statement alone, the person is declaring an absolute truth. If he says there is no, or he or she says there is no absolute truth, they've just said an absolute truth. So as we think through that, even what was brought up a few weeks ago by uh, a visiting pastor, visiting a, actually school administrator, and he said, you know, as we look at the war in Ukraine, and the, the, most of the world's repulsion at that, and denouncement of the the unnecessary and unjustified war against uh, Ukraine and the Ukrainian people. But why? And he made this point several weeks ago. Why, why does the world uh, balk at that? Why does the world denounce that? Because, well, we're going to see in Romans, God has written on our hearts a conscience. Even for those who are not Christ's followers, God who's made us in his image, we have a certain sense of right and wrong just because we were made in God's image. Look with me in Romans uh, chapter 1, chapter 2 rather, Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Romans 2, 14 through 16. And a similar thing could be said, you know, most societies do not tolerate for children to be abused. Most societies don't tolerate for the elderly to be abused. One thing that we learned to really appreciate in Brazil was uh, their, their, their favor or their uh, special treatment of the elderly. On the buses, there was a special seat for those who were pregnant, those who were handicapped, or for the elderly. Many times when my parents would come, come down and visit us in Brazil as they were getting ready to go back to the States, and there were long lines in the airport. More than one time, uh, an air, uh, airport employee would come and would pull my parents out of line and go, you, you come on up. We're going to move you to the front. Why? Because they were, they were wiser, not older. They were just a little wiser, right? So most societies have these, you know, respect for, for the elderly, respect for the young. And, and we see in Romans chapter 2, look with me in verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness Now notice the next phrase, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Now, 
the un, those who don't know Christ as their Savior, those who are not believers, their conscience is not always 100% right on. And that's why we see Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 15 here, they're conflicting thoughts. But there still is some basic sense, oftentimes, written on their hearts of what is you know, right and wrong. There's some basic understanding of those things. So that alone reminds us that there's a suppression then of the truth as we you know, seek out education reform, that that's not enough. Christ is more than that. That's why Christ himself says in John chapter 8, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. And notice this, and the truth will set you free. So $24.6 billion pumped into the education reform just by the lottery alone, not even you know, including the, the normal budget, is not enough. Christ is more than that. So as we work to, to educate the heart, as we work to point people's heart and souls toward Jesus Christ, then there will be true reform from the inside out. So incompatible truths, most of us would be quick to say, yes, absolutely, those things that, that are, are very clear against Scripture, we are certainly against. But notice also, secondly, uh, incomplete truths. Incomplete truths. Were schools, help me out here and talk to me, what, who or what did God establish first? Family or schools? Family. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve. God formed the family first. So then who has the primary responsibility to educate and disciple and be mentors to children? Families or schools? Families. It's not, not tough questions, but in our modern day society, sometimes it's easy to think, well, as long as I'm getting them into a good education, then that's my, as a parent, that's my main responsibility. No. The schools, in a right understanding, should be there to support your family so if your family opts for homeschooling, that's, that's one mode. We've done that for different years, for different situations. If your family opts for a Christian school or for a public school or like this, a public charter school, no matter what system you choose, you must understand that the family is the primary responsible person, the parents, for the education of their children. So as we put our kids into Northwest Classical Academy, I don't look to Northwest Classical Academy to teach everything they need to know about life. I'm thankful for what they learn here. But if this is all they learn in the classrooms down the halls, and as you turn, turn right and go to, to, to some of our kids' classrooms, they're not going to learn enough. Thankfully, there is a little bit more freedom here, it seems to be, in the school. So sometimes the name of Christ is mentioned but from the very beginning, and I appreciated their honesty, they said, you know, Northwest Classical Academy is not a Christian school. They made it very clear. And I've enjoyed meeting some of the leadership, and I believe some of them are certainly Christ followers and believers, but they don't, they don't promote this school as a Christian school, so there are incomplete truths. They're good, but we must then come along and say, it's not enough. Christ is more than that. I'll give you an example. Some of the phrases that are mentioned here often are to are about the true, the good, and the beautiful. The true, the good, and the beautiful. One of the, the schools that uh, that um, this particular charter school is kind of modeled after 
one of the, the colleges has this statement in their, in their college uh, website. Such and such a college supports the launch of K-12 charter schools. These schools train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a rigorous classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. Great, but it's not enough. If it stops there, then yes, we may even be able to help some kids to, uh, to develop some self-governing principles. We may be able to, to help them to be productive in society to a certain extent. But at the end of this life, come 85, 90, 95, 102 years old, and if that's all they've learned, even as we see in the New Testament, if they gain the whole world but lose their soul, then what have they gained? So may we not be foolish enough to think, okay, well, that's, that's all I need. I just want them to be good kids. No, we, we're praying that they be godly kids, that they understand that Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior. Education is not their Savior. Education is not going to be their primary foundation in life. There's a limit to that. We see in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20 and 21, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Proverbs talks about so many times throughout the 31 chapters, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. As parents and as followers of Christ, that should be our primary objective. Listen, you need to follow Christ first. Yes, pursue academic excellence or whatever it may be, a particular trade that you go into. Pursue it with excellence, but do it for the glory of Christ. Not because that in and of itself is enough. Colossians 2, verses 1 through 3. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding, and notice this, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So once again, may we pray fervently, God help me to and help us not only with our children, but those who are adults and young adults here as you see other children around you and in your circles of influence. May God help us as adults and young adults to invest in the children younger than us that they become godly children. They're the next generation. Now, the children here at One Hope Church, they're not just the future of the church. They're an integral part of the church now. So we value their ministry. They, we can learn from them, and we certainly should be teaching, uh, teaching them. But as together we serve Christ and we invest, pointing that Christ is more than even what you learn at school. Christ is more than our limitations. So not only educational form isn't enough, but thankfully Christ is more than our personal limitations. We can be detoured by Satan and sometimes even by our flesh to think, I just, I'm overwhelmed. I can't make a big difference in this world. Look with me in John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. Where nobody's backed by the authority of God Almighty. Where nobody's backed by the authority of God Almighty. John 15, verses 4 and 5. 
Dad and I had a chance to, to meet with a college student just a few days ago, and it was, it was so exciting. Just, he's reading through the, the book of John, and he began to ask, he said, we said, what questions do you have? He said, well, first of all, who's John? So we explained to him, well, there's John, who was one of the disciples, sometimes called an apostle. And then we started talking about John the Baptist. Well, who's John the Baptist? And we began to talk about, you know, John the Baptist and his purpose and uh, exciting for him to, be, to begin seeing some of these truths uh, in Scripture. And at the end of our time together, he said, I just want you to know this is top secret. I can't let many people know that I'm exploring these things because my family and even my roommates would not approve at all. I'm like, that's okay. We'll continue to meet, and we pray that you'll learn. But as we're in the book of John, notice with me in John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. Abide in me, Christ says, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Now this last phrase is difficult to really Think about. In verse 5, the last phrase, For apart from me, you can do nothing. (sighs) Well, I don't know about that. That's true. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I'll I'll confess a little bit of transparency here as I've I've been trying to be more faithful to give some of the gospel cards that we have from the church. And as I've mentioned before, I try to turn it over to the back where the the gospel is included in a very summarized form. And I'll say, this, this talks about Jesus Christ, the hope of my life. And the first couple of times I, I said that, and, and God put that phrase in my heart, and it's certainly true. But as a human, there's a little bit of twinge of, yeah, he's the hope of my life, but I, I, I think I can still handle a good bit of life. But then there's other times where God allows things to happen, and I'm so broken and humbled. Say, God, I, I know I can't do anything without you. May God help that to happen and be our attitude more often than not. And, and remember, Christ, you're more than enough. When I'm weak, when I, when I feel in, in, you know, that I, I'm not competent, when I feel that I'm not strong enough, Lord, may your strength and your grace show through me in a way that gives you all the glory and doesn't give me any. Because Christ says, without me, you can't do anything. But in contrast to that, because we're backed by God's authority, then we have access to, to God Almighty. Look with me in... in uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Again, familiar verses. Many of us have read them time and time again. Probably some of us have memorized them at different times. But Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Sprites, I won't name the country that they're serving in because it is a closed-access country, but Southeast Asia, and many of you know exactly where they're at, but they are serving in a very dark area of the world, spiritually speaking. 
One of the recent updates, they talked about a, a specific time frame. I think it was a 24-hour period where the electricity would be turned off. Cell phone coverage would be, would be dead. People would not work. The streets would be silent. And this was a, a, a re- religious uh, observance. And they mentioned, you know, how eerie and how clear the spiritual warfare would be as that time of silence and darkness, literally, would come upon their whole city. But Christ is enough. Even as they they face those limitations to think, who are we among millions of people who don't know Jesus Christ? Now, I'll be honest, I'm not in Southeast Asia Um, We may lose electricity here in Metro Atlanta, but probably not for that reason. But there are times when I feel like in Metro Atlanta, God, who am I? Who is One Hope Church, a, a little beginning of a church plant in Metro Atlanta? Who are we to impact millions of people in Metro Atlanta? Alone, we're nobody. But with Christ, he's more than enough. We see then that we're nobody's backed by the authority of God Almighty. We're ordinary people who carry an extraordinary message. Look with me in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 and verse 19 and 20. I was, I wasn't as often I am challenged as I was able to sit under uh, some others who were preaching at uh, the local or the recent missions conference at Lebanon and uh, I always enjoy that opportunity to be able to sit and listen and, and, and soak in uh, and not always be the one up front. And this was one passage that was brought up that as I dwelt on that more and thought about that more, it was an encouragement to me of how God can use us as ordinary people. Look with me in Acts chapter 11 and verses 19 and 20. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But notice verse 20. But there were some of them. So no, no names given here. Only in heaven maybe one day will we know who exactly these people were. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So we see, you know, these people, they're on their way to Antioch. Antioch would be, you may remember, was the first place that the believers and followers of Christ were called Christians. Antioch would be the church that would send out Barnabas and Paul, would be a launching pad for for some of the greatest missionary journeys of of that time. But yet, it was just some of them who were the ones who were preaching the gospel to others besides the Jews. We don't have any books written by these, some of them. The some of them didn't start an annual conference to talk about, you know, um, on-the-path evangelism. They're just ordinary people. Just like you, just like me. So some of us as we're going about doing our different things, as kids come to and from school, as they come to and from uh, sports practice, and like yesterday morning or yesterday afternoon, as we were around a soccer field with YMCA soccer, 
All of these areas are places where God wants to use ordinary people like you and like me, but to carry an extraordinary message. And to be like these, some of them, that maybe even when our names aren't mentioned and when, when big things don't seem to happen initially, may we be confident that, that Christ is more than our limitations. Because of these men's faithfulness, in large part, a very effective and evangelistic church was started that impacted thousands and thousands of people for Christ in, in, a, in a way, even us today. And some of them. Where ordinary people carry an extraordinary message. Notice, even going on to verse 21. So in verse 19, we see the ordinary paths of life. You know, it wasn't a, these people didn't go out from Jerusalem and they didn't have, you know, a 40 days of the gospel. I'm not against, against intentional campaigns. I'm not against that at all. But it wasn't an organized evangelistic campaign. It was just an ordinary path of life. They were traveling through these areas. It was because of persecution. So in one sense, they could have been tempted to think, boy, why is the Lord allowing this? We, we love him, but he's, we're having to, to leave our homes and leave our cities. But God used the ordinary path of life. We see the ordinary people of life mentioned already, some of them. But notice the extraordinary message, verse 19 of Acts chapter 11, once again. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenician, Cyprus, and Antioch, doing what? That's right, speak, Marco said it, speaking the word. But beyond that, we also see a little bit further in, in verse 20, Acts 11 and verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenist also, Preaching who? The Lord Jesus. This was the extraordinary message. They weren't talking about how you know, they had a plan that was going to you know, get rid of the persecution, that they had a plan that was going to bring comfort again and bring back their way of life. No, first and foremost, these some of them, as they were traveling along the ordinary paths of life, were speaking the word and were preaching and exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. So as God carries us on our normal paths of life, it may even involve losing a job and being transferred to another one. It may be having to move from one neighborhood to another, transferring schools. But along those ordinary paths, may God help us to be these ordinary people also that carry an extraordinary message. But notice also in verse 21, an extraordinary moving by Jesus Christ. Acts 11 and verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. That's the big difference. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. That's why we can be confident, because Christ is more than our limitations. I don't have enough. I can't make a huge difference, but Christ can. And Christ can use you, and Christ can use your, your talents, or even lack of talents, for his glory. Along the same, same lines, we're referred to in 2 Corinthians as jars of clay. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. We're referred to as jars of clay. A couple years back, in 2019, I had the opportunity to take two of our daughters on a missions trip to India. And I drank more chai tea during that 10 to 12 day period 
than I have in the rest of my whole life. But I, I enjoyed it. My daughters didn't quite enjoy it so much, but I, I enjoyed it. But one thing I found interesting is along the, the tea, you know, the, the tea gardens that we would stop at sometimes, they would often serve this chai tea in freshly fired clay cups. And once you finished drinking your chai tea out of that freshly fired clay cup, you just threw it on the ground and it would break and uh, around that tea area there was just broken pieces of clay all over. It's one use clay cup. So jars of clay are temporary. You and I are temporary. We're here for now. We may be here for another 20, 30, 40 years, but uh, I'm 45, so I I don't think that I'm going to be here much longer than another 50 years max. Probably not, because jars of clay are temporary. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, verse 3, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Now notice verse 5 again, because we're not enough. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants. For Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now notice verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Jars of clay are temporary. And all throughout this passage, we see, you know, we don't proclaim ourselves. We're servants. We're always being given over to death. We're mortal flesh. Death is at work in us. And those aren't phrases, at least to me, those aren't phrases that conjure up this like, feel good. Yeah, death is at work in me. And I'm mortal. But those aren't things that I like to dwell on, but it's helpful to be reminded, I'm just a jar of clay. But within this jar of clay, because I'm a messenger of reconciliation, then I have a content and a message to proclaim that is eternal. This jar, this body, this messenger of reconciliation is temporary, but the message that I have is eternal. John chapter 4 and verse 14, this is what Jesus said to the woman at the, at the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming... He who is called Christ. 
When he comes, he will tell us all things. And then Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Yesterday, Audrey went out, did a quick errand, and then came back. And as soon as she came in the door, she said, oh, I almost died. I just almost died. I'm like, what happened? Oh, I was coming around this curve, and this lady just, she came out of the parking lot, and and I had to swerve and miss, and I almost died, almost died. Well, I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad the car's okay. (laughs) But as, as we think about, you know, you and I, we may not be all of us here tomorrow. I may not stand behind this pulpit again one more week, but that would just be a reminder that I'm a jar of clay. And even if my life ends, the seeds of the gospel that God has has allowed me and has allowed you to pour out out of this jar of clay as we go along the paths of life, the ordinary paths of life, in school, at work, at a playground, at a soccer game, at a basketball game, doing your hobby, whatever it is, as we're pouring out this eternal message of the gospel all along the way, even when this jar of clay is broken, is 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 dead, is no longer, you know, I'm I'm up in heaven, but when this jar of clay is gone, those seeds of the gospel can still flourish into eternal life because the message that I carry is eternal. The content we carry is eternal. Then lastly, Christ is more than enough for the world's lostness. Christ is more than enough for the world's lostness. One of the favorite verses of scripture look with me in Romans chapter 5 verse 20 Romans chapter 5 and verse 20 tell you what before that let's go to 1st Corinthians so 1st Corinthians chapter 6 and then we'll finish in Romans 5 but 1st Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 9 through 11 Christ is more than enough for the world's lostness we see here in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 that Christ's grace is unconditional. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But this is beautiful. Verse 11. And such were some of you. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There are no exception clauses. There's no fine print to read in the Bible to see, well, who who is excluded from the gospel? Who can't be saved? There's no exception clauses. Paul says, such were some of you, but you were washed, you are sanctified, you were justified. There's no fine print. There's no expiration date. Christ's grace is unconditional, but Christ's grace is also unlimited. Thankfully, you know, as we faced recently a bunch of supply chain shortages, and sometimes you'll see signs, you know, excuse, be, be patient, you know, supply chain shortage. That's not, never going to happen with Christ's grace. Romans 5, verse 20, the latter part of it, uh, verse 20 in Romans 5 says, Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. 
So instead of being overwhelmed by the world's sin, instead of being overwhelmed by the lostness that we see in Metro Atlanta, by the lostness that we see on on school campuses and university campuses, instead of being overwhelmed by the lostness, may we be over, uh, just outspoken then about the message that Jesus Christ is enough. Jesus Christ is more than that. And it's messengers of, real, of reconciliation then compelling and imploring people on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Paul challenges in Ephesians 6, and I won't read the whole passage, but it talks about putting on the armor of God. And it says the importance of putting on the armor of God is to, to withstand, to battle against the schemes of the devil. Well, one of the schemes of the devil is to distract us into thinking things like social justice reform, political reform, educational reform, are maybe more important. Maybe, maybe these are the, the most urgent topics of the day and we need to put all of our, all of our input into that and all of, our, uh, you know, all of our investment into that. It's a distraction. Yes, we should be all about justice. We should, should be about Christ's love. But first and foremost, Christ is more than that. But not only that, distraction, one of the other schemes of the devil is to discourage us by a hopeless focus on my limitations. As I begin thinking, who am I? Who, what, you know, how am I going to change? All those around me and the losses that we have in Metro Atlanta, what is David Huffman going to do? What is One Hope Church going to do amidst all of the losses that we see in Metro Atlanta? And Satan wants to discourage us with a wrong focus, a hopeless focus on our limitations, and also a hopeless focus on the lostness around us. But the good news of the gospel is that Christ is more than enough.